before we do that, we're going to just say a, a welcome now uh, to a welcome now to those who are just joining us on um, Catch Up. So if you're on listening on Sermon Audio or on Apple or Android or any of those media, we welcome you now and you've joined us just as we've had a Bible reading and a hymn and we're going to have our main Bible reading for today which is from the book of Mark. It's from Mark's Gospel, it's right at the end, it's the final chapter and it's chapter 16 therefore and we're going to look today at the first eight verses. So join with us then Mark 16 verses 1 to 8. That says 1 to 16. I don't know. I think it is 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him, anoint Jesus. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone? From the door of the sepulchre and when they looked they saw the stone was rolled away it was very great and entering into the sepulchre they saw a young man sitting on the right side clothed in a long white garment and they were affrighted and he saith unto them be not affrighted ye seek jesus of nazareth which was crucified he is risen he is not here behold the place where they laid him but go your way tell his disciples and peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. So, the atonement, as we saw last week, has ended. We re-enter Mark's Gospel today at the point where Jesus has died and been buried. God's wrath has now been fully spent. His fiery anger, which which, which should have rightly been aimed at us, instead consumed the soul of his own son. So we can see now there's, there's not so much as a warm ember left of the fire of God's anger, which fell on Jesus The sacrifice in front of him was sufficient for the remission of the sins of God's people and it was therefore acceptable to God Almighty. Today we're in this last chapter. I have just one more message to preach after today and that will be the end of our journey through Mark. And it's been a a pretty, um, from my point of view, a very exciting journey. In every passage that we've uh, read together, There's always one phrase that stands out from the rest and often that's what I would preach on. And and among among preachers there'll often be uh, different different parts that they themselves are drawn to. But I don't imagine there's a preacher alive who wouldn't agree. On this occasion, the most important part of this passage is that great declaration by the angel, He is not here. He has risen. And I've no doubt that this announcement, it, this this great announcement, it sends shockwaves throughout the kingdom of Satan. I can only imagine the, the greatest horror 
and despair as the news reaches the ears of every devil in his service. This precious hope that they had to cause havoc in the purposes of God has been ruined. For some perhaps has come the awful truth this resurrection has forever crushed the head of their master just as all those prophecies said going right back to Genesis. The rest of the content of this passage is of less importance than this one truth that Jesus is alive. I was um I, I wasn't going to really mention this this little phrase but I will this little this little phrase about go and tell the disciples and Peter you know go and tell the disciples and and include Peter he hasn't been excluded despite what he's just done just you know just a, a matter of a few hours if you like previously when he denied the saviour and so he, he's, he's included he's included he's forgiven and that, that's fantastic but we're going to focus on this this business of Jesus being risen well as you can see I've given this I've given this message the title the proto resurrection now you know proto as in prototype it means the first one of of many and and Jesus was the first resurrection and in many of us all those who are believers now uh, we're going to go through that same glorifying experience so what I'd like to do today is give you some reasons for the resurrection of Christ some results of his rising from the dead because I've said to you the, the atonement's already done the punishment's been carried out so some people might wonder what, what was the necessity of the resurrection then if salvation's been accomplished well it was part of that what happened on the cross was part of a process so we're going to look at some reasons today why it was necessary for Jesus to rise from the dead so well the first one is the first reason was that it was to show Christ was God that he was God it says here in Romans 1 and verse 4, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection was an open declaration of the divinity of Jesus. He'd been making some really incredible claims about himself throughout his life, but the one that was to cause the most unbelief was the idea he would be raised from the dead. And when that happened, it would be sufficient proof for anyone that he was who he claimed to be. Now, I, I said that, you notice, I said that he would be raised from the dead, suggesting it was something he was subjected to by God. But it's not as simple as that, because the, the rising from the dead as a glorified person is ascribed to all three persons of the Trinity. So... For example, in the first uh, chapter of uh, Ephesians, it's said that the Father raised Jesus. Uh, in the third chapter of Peter's first letter, we're told the Holy Spirit raised Jesus. And in the tenth chapter of John's Gospel, 
the resurrection is ascribed to Jesus himself. And it, it, it's, it's when we consider this resurrection work as attributed to all three persons, we see Jesus at the very heart of the Trinity, the Trinity of the one God. Th that act of um, the resurrection, it's a doctrinal gift to us. And we should treasure it. And we should use it to... Uh, to protest the doctrine of the divinity of Jesus uh, and the doctrine of the, the, the Trinity as, as a whole. Well, another reason for the resurrection is uh, to fulfil Bible prophecy. Listen to what it says in Psalms 16 and verse 10. Jesus speaking, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. So this is a, one of those examples of the psalmist he, he penning words which would become the, uh, the, the thoughts or the, the, the prayers maybe of Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus wasn't the same as ours in every respect, but it was a proper death. The, the word hell in that verse, that will not leave my soul in hell obviously confuses people and there's no need for it really the word hell in that verse uh, simply means the grave it's the Old Testament Sheol Sheol and it's the common destination of all mankind including believers the parallel structure of the verse let me put that back up the parallel structure uh, shows us that to be in the grave hell is to suffer corruption so the corruption and the hell, they're the correspondent terms. Corruption means decomposition. And it's interesting because in their culture, if it's true, as I, as I understand it, that being in the grave for four days had some significance. That was like the that was the point at which everyone said, they're now starting to rot. Then that might explain why, you know, one of the reasons why Jesus was raised after three days, just just short of that point of corruption. But the main point is he wasn't left in the grave to rot and his rescue from the grave fulfilled prophecy. It's very clear that Jesus then trusted the scriptures, isn't he? And, and if the Son of God endorses them, so should we trust our completed Bible. Um, you, you should realise what, what a great gift you, you, you have in, in owning a Bible uh, whether, whether it's paper based or it's computer based and, and you should make a habit to delve into it as often as possible well another reason for the resurrection was to bless Christ himself it says here in Psalm 16 and verse 9 now Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. So this is the verse that precedes the one we just read. And since that was about his resurrection, we can see that's what's uh, being spoken about in this verse. Throughout Jesus' life and in the midst of all the sorrows he felt was this underlying hope despite all the disappointments, the persecutions and dread that he experienced. Deep within himself, he treasured up this knowledge that when this was all over, he'd rise again. 
I mean, when we read about Christ being happy, it makes us glad, doesn't it? We are blessed when he is blessed. And this should be just as much the case when we witness fellow believers being blessed. I mean, let's be honest, that's not, not, that's not always the case. Believers can become envious of, of other, other believers. Friends, when, when God chooses to dispense blessings, it, it, it's usually not according to our thinking. He may save children of parents who are less diligent in prayer than you. He may grant wealth to believers who hold relatively faulty doctrine. And he may bless churches whose pastors and congregations are seen as comparatively lax in their zeal for God. God knows what he's doing. And we need to trust in that truth really, not just express it as a belief. I would recommend this to you. You'll find it very useful to, to make it a habit to go immediately to God in prayer and thank him when you see other people blessed. Not just when he blesses you. When you see other people blessed, go to him and um, just thank him. And that charitable practice that will bring blessing to you too. And don't forget, if we are blessed by God's happiness, then we should avoid the very thing which makes him unhappy, which is, of course, sin. Excuse me for one second. Sorry, folks. That's the first time I've gone off camera. I do apologise. And it was because... <laughs> we have a we have an unruly family in the neighbourhood. And uh, they regularly have arguments in the street. And so in the background, I can hear them scream and shouting. And smashing things up in the street. I don't know what's happening. But it was a bit distracting. I don't know where, uh, well, I hope you didn't get to hear that in the background. So we're going to move on anyway to our fourth point. So, fourth reason for the resurrection of Jesus it was to declare his uh, accomplishment as acceptable. Accomplishment? Well, let's read Luke 9, verses 30 to 31. It says, And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. It's quite a striking statement, isn't it? It's a great paradox, really. No one would think that being killed was, was in any kind of victory for that person. But here, Jesus being taken and killed is described as an achievement. Well, you see, it's through the resurrection that the Father was able to welcome Jesus back into his presence. Now think, had Jesus been left in the grave, it would, it would, be, it would have been concluded. The atonement was not good enough. So in raising Jesus and, in, and embracing him as a son again, the Father signifies to us that the sacrifice was acceptable. And remember this, brethren, it's said that in a sense that you 
died and were resurrected with Jesus Christ. This means you are accepted by God too. And God can no more change his mind about and cast you off uh, than he can disown his own son. You're acceptable to God and pleasing in his sight. Can you believe it? So having this access to prayer, this prayer in the, the royal courts of heaven, you shouldn't neglect to make use of it. So go to him frequently and just know this. Know that you're accepted in the beloved. Here's another reason for the resurrection of Christ. It was to allow Christ to reclaim his throne. To reclaim his throne. It says in John 17 and verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. It was necessary for the Son of God to be raised from the dead so he could ascend back to his Father's side. And that's exactly where he belonged. In coming to this earth as a man, the Son sacrificed the highest levels of glory. We said last time that his flesh was a kind of veil, subduing that glorious nature. So what happened? He swapped the constant adoration of angels, the whole angelic host, and he swaps that for the fickle support of a few sinful men and women. But he was raised, and he reclaimed his throne. And that throne, of course, is a metaphor. It, it describes his position as ruler of the world. The mess we see this world in, <laughs> it's not the chaos that we think it is. Because Jesus is above it all jointly ruling with an exact purpose do I really need to say this the whole world lies in wickedness the whole world uh, governments media corporations the people the world lies the lies start in school in college they continue throughout life. The main culprit is probably television. Now, I watch television like most of you, I expect, but I'd, I'd counsel you to use it like alcohol and fatty foods in moderation and with great caution. And it will help to daily recall the sovereignty of the Lord because this is the best remedy against despair that, that I find anyway. The sixth reason for the resurrection of Jesus was to assure the world of judgment to come. Acts 17 and verse 31 says, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. So in this end time judgment, we read it's Jesus Christ who will be sat in a judgment seat. Jesus Christ as judge, I don't think, is spoken of very much, that I find. People would rather present Jesus, as, um, present Jesus to the world as an approachable figure, someone who desires their friendship. 
Well, look, Jesus is approachable, but only by those who have a repentant heart. And he is friendly, but only to his friends. And he tells us his friends are those who he died for and those who eventually will come to him, therefore, in prayer, confessing their sins and seeking salvation. The world will happily listen to you talk about a harmless Jesus, but they'll switch off when you talk about Jesus causing harm, which is what he will do at the judgment, whether it's arrogant atheists or it's those who think a belief in God is good enough. There's lots of those. Jesus is going to harm them and he will keep harming them in his hell dungeon forever. So are you, are you ready, friends? Are you, you could close your eyes in sleep tonight and wake up at the judgment seat of Christ. Are you ready? Are you ready right now? Dig deep down into your soul and see if you find real faith in Jesus Christ. If, you, if, if, if what you have is a pretense and you're desperately trying to keep up this appearance so that, I don't know, so that you'll keep maintain respect from others or, or, or you will not lose out you'll not lose friends you'll not cause a scandal there's a whole load of reasons why you might be faking your Christianity and I would say to you you need to be ruthlessly honest with yourself because you are going to face judgment very soon and so I would urge you to think about this if you're trusting him right now if you're trusting him right now on the other hand then you have nothing to fear when you stand in front of him in his courtroom. Jesus was also raised to conquer death. And it tells us in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 10. But this is now made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You might wonder why it's saying there, Jesus abolished death. People still die. You and I are going to die. Uh, we know the world is still spiritually dead. Well, it's a quite a common way to speak. I mean, for example, if someone accepts a job offer over the phone, they, they might come off the phone and say to their partner, I got the job. Well, yes and no because it's a job offer but until your acceptance has been you know processed by by HR uh, and you've signed a contract the job isn't technically yours it was said that Jesus destroyed Satan at Calvary now the Bible itself is quite clear Satan continued to exist afterwards he's still around today he's probably visited your home he, he's certainly been to our church but his activities have been more restricted. What this means then is that at Calvary, a crucial stage in the defeat of Satan was completed. And building on that fatal blow dealt at the cross, his eternal ruin will, will take place, uh, the, the, the last phase in that, when he's thrown into that lake of fire 
with all his followers, both angelic and human. And so this is how, this is how we understand. This is how we understand Jesus abolishing death through his own death. It means that through the preaching of the gospel, we communicate to people the reality of eternal life to come. And we can confidently tell people if they have faith in Jesus, they'll instantly become spiritually alive. And we joyfully announce all those who die in Christ will be clothed in immortality at his return. You believers, who, you who believe you already have this, your death has been abolished. And what we mean is death will not hold you. It will not hold you in that grave you'll rise again and this should be a cause of great blessing to you right now another reason for the resurrection is it symbolizes our spiritual resurrection spiritual resurrection it says in romans 6 and verse 4 therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father even so we also should walk in newness of life. The word baptism has a number of meanings. The most common use in the Bible um, is, not the, is not the principal one, actually. This is what, what I mean. The real baptism we receive from God is the outpouring of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts. Now, if you want an example of that usage, have a look through the, f the first book, the first chapter in uh, Acts. That'll give you an example. So the, the most common use of the word, though, refers to the application of water to us. And this is what we normally understand when we hear, you know, so-and-so is being baptised, we, we think of water. Now, this water baptism, of course, is just a visual representation of the inward work of the Spirit. And it's through this work of the Holy Spirit we're said to enter into Christ's sufferings, death, resurrection and ascension. So, although, although, although this verse is, it's normally understood to mean water baptism. In fact, I'm sure that uh, an awful lot of Bible students assume that every time they see the word baptism, it means being having water thrown at you or being dunked in water so I suspect this verse is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit which is great news for people who haven't been baptised or for practical reasons they can't be baptised because on their conversion not when they've gone through the water on their conversion the point when they know they have the Spirit of God in them they've already taken part in the spiritual resurrection from the death of sin so there's this spiritual resurrection preceding our bodily resurrection. And our verse tells us it's to a desired end. That we should walk in newness of life. You believers now are truly alive and it's expected. Your walk in this life would reflect that. If you're doing it right, listening to what the Bible says and praying for guidance your lifestyle will be different from what it once was. If you're one of those people who've been blessed being brought up in a Christian home, 
The same is still expected of you. We're all expected to behave and think in ways which honour God. Another reason for the resurrection is to allow Christ to make intercession. Romans 8 and verse 34 says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Jesus' resurrection allowed him to take his place at God's right hand, and one of the roles he took on was mediator. He's the only one fit to be mediator, seeing as he's God, manifest, manifested uh, bodily. So the risen Saviour stands, you see, between us and God. And for, for, for one thing, he intercedes for us at, um, at, that, at those times when we pray. He commends our prayers to the Father. And, and, and this, in fact, is another reason why I think we should pray to the Father and not Jesus and not the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not a major deal, but think about it now. Each person in the Trinity has a role when we pray. So ideally, we're praying to the Father, through the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus Christ. And so when we do that, we, 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 we better acknowledge prayer as a Trinitarian work. And we recognise Jesus' role as intercessor. Isn't it a real great privilege, brothers and sisters, to know Jesus encourages the Father to listen to the poor prayers that come from our mouths. So whenever you stumble about, unable to string a coherent sentence together in your prayers, that prayer is still sanctified and presented to the Father by Jesus as a sweet aroma. Let no one come and say to me, you know, I, I don't like praying because I'm not very good at it. I don't want to hear that. Because your prayers are just as acceptable to God as anyone else's who's ever lived. So when you go to God in prayer, friends, with your praises, your thanksgivings, your confessions of sin, your, your, your requests, go in the confidence that you have the Son of God there as your mediator. Let's have a look at another reason for Christ's resurrection. It was to justify the church. Romans 4 and 25 says that Jesus was delivered for our offences and was raised again for our justification. Justification is being pronounced not guilty, being pronounced more than that, being pronounced um, perfect in, in a moral sense. So th this word justification, oh, it, like like baptism it also has several meanings in the bible now evangelicals they usually understand this word in a forensic sense let me explain that i think it's fair to say most almost everyone understands that word forensic it's got something to do with testing things in laboratories forensic science in other words uh, but we can use that example to show what forensic means in, in theology. Um, although we might think forensic science is people testing stuff in laboratories, it's really people testing stuff in laboratories so that the results 
can be used as evidence in a court of law. And so forensic then simply means legal. So we're talking about justification in a legal sense. And so what that means is God justifies us, he declares us as righteous by way of a legal declaration. So the evangelical understanding is, okay, we're, we're sinners, scum, uh, but by virtue of what Christ has done, we're declared to be righteous. And then afterwards, God helps us to become better people throughout our lives. And my own view is slightly different. I believe we were declared to be righteous because God had first made us sanctified new creatures in Christ. Perfect, in fact. But I don't want to dwell on that too much. The point to take from this today, it was through the resurrection of Jesus, this plan of salvation continued and made that justification certain. But there's another sense of justification which is also a result of Jesus rising from dead. When he rose, the church in that, at that time, and ever since, was vindicated. The church trusted this Jesus was the Messiah, and his resurrection was all the evidence they'd need. The, the consistent accounts of, of um, Jesus' resurrection from multiple eyewitnesses showed everyone that this resurrection was genuine, and the church was proven right. There were many converts after the resurrection, you know, there was all kinds. There was Jewish religious leaders who, who used to hate Jesus' guts uh, and, and turn to him. And this applies to us too. We, we, we point back to the resurrection of Jesus as an historical event. And it's the risen and exalted Jesus which has become the foundation of the gospel itself. So be bold, brethren. Be bold in sharing the gospel of the risen Saviour with anyone who listen our penultimate reason for the resurrection was to pave the way for our bodily resurrection 2nd Corinthians verse um, chapter 4 and verse 14 says this knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you so what this verse is telling us is God is going to raise us all from the dead and if you like escort us to meet the resurrected Jesus now the church is already married to Jesus Christ we're his bride his atoning work and resurrection unites us and even now it can be said we're enjoying the great marriage feast we already have this married relationship with our saviour we're already walking with him talking with him and eating with him through faith but there remains another phase in our marriage there is to come an even greater experience of Jesus than we have now and a resurrected Jesus Christ is to have as his eternal companions a resurrected people. He was the forerunner and every one of us who belong to him 
will surely follow him in being raised. This was Paul's hope and this is our hope. You'll be familiar, I'm sure. You've been to um, Anglican, that's, I forget what the American term equivalent is for Anglican. Um, it'll come back to me later. But if you've been to an Anglican uh, funeral, then they use the Book of Common Prayer, or at least the traditional ones do. And you'll remember that line, when we bury believers, we bury them in sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. It'll do your soul good, friends, to keep this to heart. Try to recall it each day. Like I keep saying that, you know, you if you remind yourself you're going on holiday next week, it just provokes excitement in you. You're counting down the days. So can't we do that with the resurrection? And it's an eternal holiday, if you like. An eternal vacation. Whatever you call it over there. And so the best way to recall the resurrection each day is to is through the, the habit of reading about it in his word and also thanking God for, for that in prayer. Our final reason for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is to live with us forever. And we read in 1 Corinthians, this is chapter 15, verses 20 to 24. It says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by men, since by man, that's Adam, came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ's at his coming, then come at the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. We've said that the resurrection showed Christ was God, and this was to give us a blessed doctrine. We said that it fulfilled prophecy, and it gave us confidence in the scriptures. We said it was to bless Christ himself, thereby blessing us through his happiness. We said it showed the atonement was acceptable to God and we understand that we are accepted because we're in Christ too. We said that it allowed Christ to reclaim his throne and we're said to reign alongside him. We said the resurrection declares to the world a judgment and we can be confident that we'll not share in the terrible fate the rest of mankind faces at that time. We said it was to conquer death and this is how we now have spiritual life and will enjoy immortality in the future. We said his resurrection symbolised our spiritual resurrection encouraging us to walk worthily in this new life that we have. We said it enabled Christ to become a inter an intercessor representing us at the throne of God. We said it allowed for our justification and we've both been declared righteous and as a church been vindicated. 
we said it was effectively the proto-resurrection. And this gives us the confidence that resurrection is possible and will be carried out on us too. And we'll finish with this. The resurrection of Jesus as an incorruptible person shows he will live like that forever. And he promises us we shall be with him. All opposition will have been wiped out. What will be left is the bride of Christ in all its splendour, standing amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. This is where our story was always heading. Then we'll experience an idealised form of what we have now. We can have true joy now, but then it'll be heightened and uninterrupted. We can give and receive love now, but then it'll be untainted by sin in us and in other people. We can have communion with Jesus Christ now, but then it will be face to face. I can only imagine the conversations and the praise that will take place at that time. You can travel to Jerusalem and walk the very streets that Jesus did. You may even visit the site of his actual crucifixion. And if the archaeologists are right, it's possible you can visit the tomb where our Saviour is laid. But you won't see him, of course. He was there, but not anymore. He is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, thank you, folks, for um, thank you, folks, for joining us. And um, I hope that this this list it was a long list of the reasons for the resurrection will have really encouraged your hearts and really filled it with thanks for Jesus, for God, for this great event, as it signals a great future for us too. So, I'll see some of you Wednesday. The rest of you, I shall see, God willing, the same time next Sunday morning at half ten. Well, God bless you all in the name of Jesus.